All right, so um, I don't think we have any, any new, new faces here. Everybody um, has been already part of the EHS for the past two weeks, and over the past two weeks we've really been doing some exploring and looking at the marks of unhealthy spirituality. Uh, with a purpose to actually recognize where we have these unhealthy marks in our own lives. Um, this links in very much to what we're going to be doing today, which is know yourself, that you may know God. If you don't know where you are unhealthy, how can you become healthier? You know, if you don't know where you need to grow, how can you grow? Um, in our groups when we broke, I don't know if everybody was part of the groups, but hopefully you've been through the worksheet if you haven't, if you weren't. But we looked at Saul. And, you know, I think Saul is one of the most tragic characters um, in the Bible. He's had a tragic life. And when you, when you really get to know that story of Saul, one of the things that you can notice is that we never see him cultivating a deep relationship with God. Um, he never grew in his ability to do for God the things that God asked him to do out of a life of being with God. You know, And when we read the Bible, there are a lot of things we can learn from characters like his which seem to really just fail, in a sense, of, of never being... Um, who God wants them to because they never get this deep relationship with God. We don't just learn from the heroes. We will learn from the heroes, okay? I think we're learning from one of the heroes this week. So I want to kick off with really looking at a passage of Scripture because this is what this process is about. The Scripture really captures it very well, this EHS journey that we're on. So it says, since you have heard about Jesus... We've all heard about Jesus, right? All of us sitting here. And we've learned the truth that comes from him. Truth comes from him. Jesus alone. Sometimes we hear other things from this other voice. We don't listen to that voice. We learn not to listen to that voice. We learn to listen to the voice of Jesus. And we throw off our old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, these lies, deception, lust, the desires that we want, we throw those off. Instead, okay, here we go. Let hmm, the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. This is what we're doing. We are letting the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes on an ongoing basis. And then we put on your new nature, created to be like God in His image, truly righteous and holy. The people Dean was speaking about this morning in his prayer, about who God wants us to be. Okay. And I want to ask you, what do you think the Spirit is renewing in you today? Because this is something which is daily. You know, this daily being with God is renewing our minds and changing our attitudes. Okay. Now, I know, and I'm sure you know as well, that many Christians struggle 
in their connection with God. <clears throat> Why is this the case? You know, we can even read the Bible and we can know the God we see in Scripture, but we don't experience Him in that way. Why is that the case? And I think that the reality is that many Christians need to renew their minds about God so that they can know him in truth. Okay, because if we don't know God, we will not be able to grow and transform because it's his work in us. Okay, now I'm going to refer to the forming course every now and then. This course that Marinda and I are doing because it's really awesome. And one of the little tips that um, Byron gave us this past week was to be able to check your view of God, you need to ask yourself how he feels about you right now. That might seem like a crazy question, but how we think God feels about us speaks volumes about what we believe that he is like. Do you hear that? Sitting right here, take a moment. What do you think God feels about you right now as you sit here? And what does that tell you about what you believe he is like? Do you see God as distant? Just somewhere out there? Is he a harsh God? Is he a demanding God? Do you somehow feel that you can never live up to the expectations that he has of you? You never feel like you can do enough. But where do you get that idea from? Where do we get these ideas that God is out there and he's watching us and if we mess up, he's so highly disappointed that he turns away from us and gives us the silent treatment while we sort ourselves out? Where do we get that belief from? Sometimes it can be in the way you grew up. Perhaps you had a parent, it can be a father or it can be a mother figure, who was very authoritarian and harsh in how they treated you, in what they expected of you. Um, sometimes it can also be because you had a distant parent. Maybe you didn't have a parent there. Or maybe your parent was so wrapped up in their own life and their own troubles that they never really took the time to know you and what was going on in you, you know. Um, I think, as a church, we have placed a very heavy emphasis on doing for God. And we've not balanced it with the teaching you know, and, and this understanding of how much God desires for us to know him in truth as a loving, graceful, relational father. 
You know, again, I think sometimes we, we kind of know this to be true, but we don't experience it. So that's telling us something. It is this head knowledge that we don't get to experience in the core of our being, and we need to take note of that. <clears throat> now, what definitely does help us in this, and that's part of the reason why we're doing this course, is that going beneath the iceberg helps you to start understanding what your view of God is and how it was shaped and sometimes and very often distorted by the way that we grew up and the influences on us. Okay, that's the reason why we do this. And this is a Pete Scazzaro thought-provoking little quote. The vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life. Okay, that's the expectations that other people put on you or at least someone else's expectations for us. So we're trying to live someone else's life by living up to their expectations. And this does violence to ourselves, to our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. Because we never live out of our true self. Remember we spoke about that. We're living out of this false self, this kind of image that has been created and that we live through instead of our true self. Now, if you are struggling to get beneath that iceberg, you may be asking, yeah, that's all very well, but how do I get there? Do I just dive into the frozen water and swim and swim and swim until I get underneath and then try and crack it from beneath? Okay, a good place to start is really to start getting to know how you feel. And some of us, quite honestly, are not very good at knowing how we feel. Okay? What are you feeling right now? Do you know what you're feeling as you sit here? And I know we've introduced this tool before, the mood meter. Sorry, some of the colors you can't see very well. It's, it's kind of um, blurred. But the mood meter is a very useful tool if you struggle to know what you feel because in each of those blocks are, are words that we connect with. So I think, uh, let me just use Dean as an example. He said that he was feeling frustrated, discouraged. So he was probably somewhere between the blue and the red. You know, the blue is sort of the, the down, the, the heavy, the depressed, the way down emotions. The red is the angry or the worried, you know, the higher energy kind of emotions. The, the yellow is very bubbly and up there, and the green is more the chilled emotions. And I think I shared, I spend most of my time in the green zone. But I do definitely fly into the other zones at times. Now, God created us with an amazing ability to feel a wide range of motions. He didn't do this for no reason, okay? Have you ever considered that God actually speaks to you through your emotions? We just think they're things that happen, but God, I believe, wants to speak to us through our emotions. He wants to tell us something. 
He wants to help us to know ourselves better so that we can know Him. Okay? If you find yourself being angry in the red zone or way down or sad or fearful, okay, fear would be red, the way way down, sad would be more the blue. (coughs) There's a reason. There is a reason. And you need to pay attention to that. God wants to speak to you through that. All right. So that we can know him better. Often what happens to us is that we react in a situation and we fly off the handle and we get angry or we just sink down into a depressed state. Okay, we're talking more about the heavy emotions. Okay, we don't even often take notice of the great ones. You know, we just go along with them because we're just feeling good. Why? It's a good reason. But especially when it comes to the the red and the blue, I think that's where God really wants to teach us, but also through our other emotions. But we often react um, without understanding. And I just spent a little bit of time thinking about Saul. And, you know, at, at the end of that passage that we read in 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, Saul said, I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Saul, at the end of things, when he was confronted by Samuel, he realized what had happened. But in the moment, he didn't. And, you know, the thing about Saul is, I mean, Saul is that he knew he'd sinned, but we never see Saul going beneath the iceberg and working through his fear with God. We don't see him doing that. And if you look at Saul's life, he was chased by fear his whole life. Everything to do with David, everything to do with him hanging on, it was all about fear. That's what dogged him his whole life. It didn't have to be that way. Okay. I think that Saul viewed God as distant and harsh. He never got to know him. Compare this to David. Okay, that's another whole study on its own, and we're going to dig in a bit. Okay. So, our God feels. I just want to go through a couple of verses. Um, I think, yeah, these are not actually on the slides, but I'm sure you can dig in if you want to write them down quickly, but you can look at this mood meter while you're looking at it. Genesis 1.31, it says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. How do you think he was feeling? Chuffed. I think he was in the yellow zone. He was so chuffed. Certainly... When he was in he was in the green yellow zone as he looked at everything he made. Genesis 5 verse 6. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Where was he? Sad. Blue zone. Okay. Exodus 32 verse 9. Then the Lord said, 
I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Where was he? Genesis 5, 6. Yeah. And then exit. I can send these out to you if you want. Just on the, you can go and have a look at them. Definitely red zone. Hey, you can see the fire. <laughs> okay. Jesus. We can think, okay, God, he's out there. Let's look at Jesus. Okay. He expressed his emotions. He was fully human, fully divine, but fully human. Luke 10, 21. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Where was he? Yellow zone. Okay, filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's what joy does to us, guys. That's why joy is so important, you know, that we capture this joy that comes from the Lord. God wants us to have a healthy joy. Mark 26, 38, he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Okay. This was kind of a combination of blue-red. It was high energy. He was sweating, okay, when he was going through this. It was intense. And you can be both at the same time, okay. But more towards the, maybe you will feel sad and then the stress, okay. And Mark 3, 5, he looked around at them angrily, and listen to this, and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Do you see that? Red, blue. Okay. He was fully expressing these things in a healthy way. And if you haven't done this regularly, you need to start paying attention to your emotions and start specifically asking the why. Why Am I feeling that? What does it tell me about myself? Because God wants to teach me so that I can know him better and view him truly. You know, um, you know I know that that I myself, uh, over the, I've been doing this for a couple of years because this actually, I was introduced to it a few years ago through a podcast I was listening to, a book, by Mark Brackett called Permission to Feel. Um, and so I've really been doing this for a while, but I, I have learned to pay attention to, like if I have a knot in my stomach, or if I just feel this, this rising heat or this tension in my body and my neck, or if my heart rate starts going up for some reason, I've learned to, to be able to, to sort of quieten down enough to pause and to, to really notice and then to be able to process what I'm feeling. And it has helped me a lot. Okay. The call of discipleship includes experiencing our feelings, reflecting on our feelings, and then thoughtfully responding to our feelings under the Lordship of Jesus. Why does he put there under the lordship of Jesus? Because Jesus is lord of your emotions as well. Our emotions is not a license to sin. Okay? Sometimes we do. Okay? Sometimes 
we do sin. And that's not the end of the world. You need to be learning from it though, okay. But as we mature spiritually and emotionally, and as we grow, you know, in this emotional health, we will find ourselves sinning less. Okay. Because God has transformed us and we're more like Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to hand over to Neil. Amen. Thank you. Oh, I learned so much from my lovely wife, you. Okay, so we're going to continue looking at Jesus, just the, the way that Jesus modeled um, what we are talking about, just knowing yourself so that you may know God. You know, Jesus disappointed a lot of people. You think about it. And these were people who he loved dearly. Um, his family thought that Jesus was crazy. He said, come on back home, you know, just be a normal son and a, and a, and a normal brother. Uh, the people who, uh, who grew up with him in Nazareth wanted to throw him off a cliff. Um, he upset the religious leaders, you know, over and over again. And he disappointed his disciples by choosing to go to the cross rather than to start a revolution against Rome. You see, Jesus knew with absolute clarity who he was and why he was sent to earth. You know, we read, um, for example, why am I struggling? There we go. You know, Jesus could say, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of, the, of, of, of him who sent me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you see how clear Jesus was on his mission and his purpose? But where does that come from? Well, in Matthew 3, we read about the baptism of Jesus. You know, as he came out of the water after being baptized by, you know, by John the Baptist, we read that the Spirit came like a dove, like a dove, and rested on Jesus. And then this is what the Father said. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. You see, it was what, what Jesus knew with absolute certainty about who he was and what his purpose was. Jesus was affirmed by his Father. He was loved by God. You see, Jesus understood his true self. Jesus was the Son of God, and he was dearly loved by God, and God was pleased with him. And that is where we would all like to get, not so? You know, I, I imagine sometimes, um, you know, how I would like God to receive me one day. And I, I pray and I hope for these words, you know, that God looks at me and says, Neil, you my son, with who I love and with whom I am well pleased. That's affirmation. You know, this was the true self of Jesus. Jesus got his true self, his understanding of self, and his affirmation from God. And because of that, remember this was long before, or well, this is just before he started his ministry, before the other scriptures. It was because Jesus knew his identity, that he was affirmed and loved by God, that he then did for God. Okay. You know, I don't know about you, but when I read about Jesus and I look at these examples, 
of Jesus, I kind of struggle a little bit. He's like, man, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was without sin. He didn't have the struggles. Well, he had the temptations and the struggles, but Jesus was perfect. You know, Jesus was, Jesus is the perfect image of God. I'm still being restored in the image. So it's helpful for me to look at other examples in the Bible. And there are many other examples of people who are far from perfect, uh, you know, who sinned up, who had like serious character issues to, to deal with and have dealt with. And it's helpful to look at them. And as Nolene has mentioned, today we're going to look at one such person, David. But there's another one, you know, that I'd like to share with you. And that is uh, John, John the Apostle, the Apostle John. Now, um, you know, it's always sort of interested me and kind of confused me how John referred to himself. You know some of these, these passages. Uh, you know, John called himself, what did he call himself, John? He didn't say, I, the, the disciple who Jesus loved. Um, he said this a few times, I think six times in, in his gospel, and I'm going to share a few examples with you. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. So Mary came running to Peter and the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. You know, I think... You know, for me, um, I've read these passages in the past and I thought, oh, that's very arrogant of John. You know? I mean, is he the only apostle who you know, Jesus loved? You know, what was with him? It's like elevating himself above the other you know, um, apostles. Did he think he was better than them? No, but I think you know, knowing what I know and learning what I am learning, I really believe and I think that what John is telling us is that he knew his true self. John knew who he was in Christ. I don't think he was being arrogant at all. You know, but John did have a very special, close relationship with Jesus. He was the youngest of the apostles, and he snuggled up with Jesus often. He was the one who was at the foot of the cross. He had a special relationship with Jesus. Um, he understood who Jesus was, and he understood his identity in Christ. He understood that his true self was found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. He didn't introduce himself or present himself as a son of Zebedee. He didn't say, I'm a disciple. He didn't say, I'm the youngest disciple. He said, I am a disciple of Jesus whom Jesus loves. You see that? I pray, you know, I pray that we all will say that and know that with absolute confidence. That we'll find our security in that and in that alone. That we're followers of Jesus and we are loved by King Jesus. That is where this journey prayerfully is, is taking us. And it is a journey. It's not going to end in eight weeks. I think we understand that. But it's going to get us at least started. And John, of course, was far from perfect. I don't think that the moment that you know, Jesus called John, he would say this immediately. Right? John, like the other apostles, had character flaws. You know, they had issues to deal with. They were far from perfect. But remember, it took three years of hands-on discipling and teaching from Jesus himself. 24-7, I understand. They were with Jesus, and Jesus was pointing things out to them. And I mean, these, you know, think of these apostles. They were, they were selfish at times. They were competitive. They lacked faith. They were 
They were slow learners. You know, they struggled to get what Jesus was saying. They wouldn't give up their, their paradigm of what Jesus should be like. These guys were flawed, which gives me hope, right? You know, but all of them, and I'm just using John as an example, they got to that point. They got to the point where they could all say, I believe that I'm a follower of Jesus. I am loved by him. So that gives us hope. As Nolene has said over and over again, and we've said over and over again, we're not perfect. Right? Jesus is the only perfect image bearer, but we are being restored. We are being restored in the image if we are in Christ. Amen. So our true self is us being restored in the image of God. And when we choose to follow Jesus, you know, as John and the other apostles did, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are loved. We cannot be our true selves, though, apart from Christ and apart from the love of God. In Christ, we are new creation. But we need to know ourselves, as we said over and over again. We need to know ourselves and, and, and where we need to, to change and to repent and those things in our character below the surface that God wants to take hold of and fix. We need we need this, church. I need it, and you need it. I just want to um, share with you three falsehoods and three truths to help us live faithful to our true self in Christ. I'm going to go through this quickly. I am aware um, of the time. Three falsehoods about identity. Remember, these are, false. these are lies. I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what others expect of me. I just want to share with you, and I've shared this, I think, previously, but I can, I can relate to all of those, but particularly the first point. Now, for many years, when I was very into my career, uh, my ambitions were to be the best scientist in my field. You know, I went to Germany. I studied under the top professor and doctor in, in, in my field of research, started my PhD in Germany, and this defined me. You know, I was, in my mind, I was a leading researcher, and I wanted to be the best in my field. I was defined by what I did. You know, that's, and, and part of our, our restoration and our change from within is to not find our identity in I'm a teacher, I'm a student, um, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor. Those are part of our identity, but that's not us. Our, our key identity, our primary identity is to get to the point that John got to that I'm a disciple of Jesus, I am loved by him. It's not by what we do. And it's also not by what I have. And there are two sides to this, I believe. Many people nowadays define themselves by all their possessions and their fancy house. You know, I have a new house, I, I, I drive a new car, I have this, I have that, I have a wife, I have children. Once again, that's part of who we are, but it's not the primary identity. And I also think it's important, this is very important, that we do not define ourselves by by what we do not have. And I think many people in this church as well um, struggle with finances. Many people are, are poor in the world. But here's the thing. Your identity is not that you're a poor person who lacks resources and who needs help. That does not define who you are. What defines you as a disciple of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you're loved by him, and you're loved by his family. Amen? So we must be careful of the voices and, and how we categorize ourselves and how we see ourselves. That's false. And of course, the big one, I think nowadays, is that I am what others expect of me. I am what my social media friends say about me. I am what that TikTok video says 
I should be like. Okay? I am what people expect of me. And this, of course, is, is cross-generational. It's not, it's not only the youth. Peer pressure is a huge thing. I am not what my boss says I am. I am not that failure. I'm not that superstar. I am not what the movies I watch say about me and what I should be like. Okay, so these are falsehoods. And on this journey, we all want to get to the point where we can say with absolute certainty, as Jesus knew and as John knew and as King David knew and hundreds of other people knew, and we read about them in the Bible, that I am a follower of Jesus and I am loved by him. And because of that knowledge and that certainty and that, that security in our true self, we then live as disciples of Jesus. Like Jesus, we are yet to seek and to save the lost. And like Jesus, we undertake to do the will of the Father and not our own will. But three truths to help us on this journey, and this is, I think, a summary. We should practice silence and solitude. We cannot know ourselves if we do not escape from the busyness of life. We need times of silence and solitude. We need to allow the Spirit to convict us and work inside us, and we need to listen to the promptings and the voice of God. We need trusted companions, right? This is a journey we're on together, and the small groups are part of that, but also our closest friendships in the church, our discipling relationships, the mentors we have, the advisors we have, in Port Elizabeth and outside of Port Elizabeth. We're in this together. We need trusted companions you know, to talk to and to share with and to open our lives up to them and help the, invite them to help us to go below the surface and to see things that we don't easily see in ourselves. And then, of course, we need to pray. We always need to pray, but especially we need to pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he does his will through us, and his will is that we are transformed and we get to the point where we we know with absolute certainty and we live it out that I'm a disciple of Jesus, I am loved by Jesus. We need to pray for that. That takes courage. It takes perseverance. This is not a quick fix. You know, this is a lifelong process. So we need to practice silence and solitude, have trusted companions, and pray, church. We need to pray. Change is not comfortable. It takes time. We must pray, especially for courage and perseverance. Amen. That is the lesson today. Um, We are, I think, on time. It's quarter two, after a little bit of a late start. But let's end with a, a song then, and then we'll break into the groups as we did last week. The discussion is an awesome discussion. Uh, I just want to encourage you also to, to read the scripture before the time. The scripture today is quite a long passage. Um, you know, David approaching, confronting Goliath. Uh, we know how that ended, but there's some really great reflection questions and discussion questions focused on the character of of David. And if you prepare before the time, it will make the discussions even more awesome. Amen. So let's do that. Song leaders can come up and then we'll end there.